Hi, everybody. It's Michelangelo Caruso. I have a fascinating guest with me today. This is Dr. Carrie Nantis, everybody. Hi, Carrie. Hi, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks for being on the program today. We're going to uh, do a few things today. We're going to find out about your background. We're going to talk about spirituality. And of course, we're going to invite people to attend a live event that you and I will both be speaking at in Troy, Michigan on January 30. Now, this will be 2019. The event is mm -hmm. called Mind, Body, Spirit. And if you'd like to know more about this, you can see the link down below in the description of this video. I'm so glad you could join us today. Thank you for having me. This is a really enjoyable topic for us. Mm -hmm. yeah, it certainly is. And it's, uh, and it's much needed today. We'll get into the contemporary reasons why that's true in just a second. Uh, meanwhile, I want to tell everybody that Dr. Carrie Nantis is a clinical psychologist. She's chosen to specialize in the areas of trauma, PTSD, depression, anxiety, and interpersonal relationships that include adjustment difficulties. I'd like to know more about that. She is a, um, uh, also an expert in what's called spiritual growth and development, uh, particularly the veterans' in reintegration into civilian life, fertility issues, and women's postpartum mental health. I'm reading from a website. Hopefully this is up to date, Carrie. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. <laughs> She says she works mainly with adults, uh, both as individuals and as couples. Um, a bit of background, she completed her pre-doctoral clinical internship at the John D. Dingle VA Medical Center, mm -hmm. working with veterans' mental health uh, in both PTSD and substance abuse. And prior to her work as a psychologist, she completed graduate training at Cambridge uh, in Massachusetts in mm -hmm. theological ethics and spiritual direction and growth. I'm told that your degree is in something called the Masters of Divinity, which mm -hmm. is a ministerial degree, Carrie. And, and you say it's the same ordination that people of the cloth, we used to say men of the cloth, but now it's people of the cloth, receive in organized religion, correct? Correct, yes. And in, in definitely in Christian tradition, the Masters of Divinity is uh, the necessary theological degree in order for a person to then pursue ordination. And so it, it is the same degree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in an interesting twist, uh, here you are, a human being, <laughs> worthy of the degree, apparently, uh, a master's of divinity, and not allowed to practice in, your, uh, in the religion you grew up with, because mm -hmm. as a Catholic, they do not ordain women as priests. Is that still true? This is true. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I find it almost hard to believe that in the year 2018, that women cannot become priests. You didn't take that personally, did you? No, I, I knew the rules going in. <laughs> <laughs> because, um, because I'm yeah. not a woman, nor am I ordained, and I'm taking it personally. I think it's time we change that, man. Well, there are lots of people who would agree with you, um, and certainly other Christian denominations, aside from Roman Catholic, that agree with you. For instance, the Episcopal tradition, which is um, the English, the, the United States version of the English church, would ordain women. So yep. many agree with that. Mm -hmm. And lots of female pastors and lots of female ministers. I don't know. And what female bishops and other Christian traditions. Wowie. Wowie. Yeah. So uh, we're doing our bit today to promote the cause, uh, mm -hmm. urging the Catholic Church to get with the times and get some female <laughs> priests going. Um, more about that in the contemporary scenario that we find ourselves in today. I want to first address that what seems to be and by the way, um, I think if I had a Catholic priest on today, he might disagree with me. I had 
a fascinating conversation with a librarian the other day. She runs mm -hmm. a municipal library. And the introduction to the conversation, I started it uh, because I like to hear what people think. I said, it seems like reading is down, particularly book reading, and therefore library use must be down. What's up with that? I said to her. And she denied it. She said, no, no, people are reading as much as ever. People are reading books as much as ever. Our library usage is up. I don't know. I took a look around the library as we were chatting, and I, 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 she must know what she's talking about. What's your perception of what's happening with organized religion? Is it as enthusiastic as it ever been? Do we see the participation levels at record, you know, mm -hmm. record levels? Or are things declining a bit in favor of this less formal spiritual approach? Well, you know, I think that the research points to the fact that attendance is down uh, in, in the pews, especially among youth and young adults. Um, and there, there are lots of factors for that. First of all, I think um, there is a different way in which uh, young adults, I would say people in their 40s and younger, really understand participating in their faith. Mm -hmm. It used to be that I go to a building where I worship with other people and that was the way I expressed my faith. And nowadays with technology and with, um, you know, a real move for kind of um, self-reflection yeah. and insight, people see their spirituality in very different ways. Um, as this MDiv degree that I have, you know, one of the things that we're trained to do is meet people where they're at. And I think that that is what um, we're used to. Uh, we're used to kind of, you know, finding exercise when we want, finding reading and, and technology when we want. And now I think really the move in spirituality is maybe I don't just need my church every Sunday uh, in order to consider myself a faithful person or a, yeah. a person of the spirit. So there is that move, I think. And, and this is an interesting marketing dilemma for organized religion, much of, uh, of which has been around for hundreds if not thousands of years mm -hmm. this idea mm -hmm. that that you have to go to one place at the same time on the same day with a bunch of like-minded people in order mm -hmm. to pay your respects to uh, the god of your choice i think i think our society has become a less a lot less formal and a lot less stringent about how we go about things and not just religion language has become less formal mm -hmm. etiquette mm -hmm. has become less formal Mm -hmm. um, what do they call it? The, the, the gender fluid. Are we becoming religious fluid? Are we becoming, mm. I mean, that's, that's kind of the positive spin on it, right? I, yeah. I, I think some people would say that fluid, fluidity is not always a, a positive connotation. If a church is declining in its attendance and can't pay its electric bill, that can't yeah. be a positive thing. Yeah. Is it a marketing issue that we're up against? What's going on? I, I think there's a couple of factors which really affect this, this issue. The first would be, um, you know, this fluidity, um, I think, is a good thing overall, because what I think it does is it makes people reflect on themselves. I don't just consider myself a person of faith because someone else tells me that. I have to claim that and own that myself. So I think that's a positive spin, um, and I think a positive movement. I think that one thing that has maybe been undersold, uh, especially as we... Um, have had conflict with authority figures, which I'll get back to in a second, we've lost the value of community. Um, you know, I don't just go to church every Sunday so someone else can see me as Catholic. Um, I go because there's a community of people that I've developed, developed relationships with, right? 
people I see every week. They know my family. They know my husband, my kids. They, they know what I do for a living. They're curious about me and, and I respect them as well. I see what they're involved in. So there's a sense of community, not always with like-minded people, but with people who, you know, strive to do their best, um, mm -hmm. strive to see uh, a better way forward. And some and of I our mega churches, Carrie, to your yeah. point, have tried to expand on that sense of community with, yeah. say, through music. Yes. Terrific yes. music and entertainment mm -hmm. in, in a church service these days. Some, yeah. I, I again, feel this has fallen away from the, the usual, uh, you know, all religion all the time, or, or one religion all the time, where now right. we're going for more bling, if you will, in <laughs> our religious services. Um, so I, I do agree with you about the, the community aspects of, of church, and, and, and that's an interesting observation that you make, that the decline of, of formalized religion has kind of mirrored the decline in community, people not knowing their neighbors as well as they used to, for example. For sure. And I think, you know, the other thing you mentioned, Michael, which is so important, is that a faith community um, needs to offer us a, a variety of different resources, you know, not just rote prayers or not just fire and brimstone. You know, a lot of people choose their faith because they feel a connection with the people. They feel a connection with the pastor or the, the leader of the faith community. They feel a connection with music or artistic expression. And, you know, one of the things that I think has gotten a bad rap of organized religion over time is I'm just being told rules that I come every week and I get lectured on those rules and I leave. And if that's what your religious tradition is doing for you, it's probably not one you're returning to. If it's one where you feel like it engages the issues of your time, it's willing to discuss things of importance to you, and it's done so in a way which really recognizes, hey, it's hard to live a good faith-filled kind of um, overall optimistic spiritual life now, then, then I'm probably not returning. So those are the things I think people are seeking in the pews um, and people who are honest about that. You know, one of the things that we do a disservice on is saying how hard it is to live a meaning filled kind of focused life at this point when so many things pull us, you know, technology pulls us, obligation pulls us, responsibility pulls us. And so this is an opportunity to say, you know, what really means a lot to me and, and kind of focusing on that. So, yeah, you know, keeping with the marketing theme for a minute, there's a lot of noise out there. And if we're all uh, trying to capture our slice of attention, mm -hmm. uh, it's in everybody's best interest to stay with the time, stay relevant, mm -hmm. uh, involve people to the extent that they want to be involved. Uh, for example, dialogue versus one-way messaging, which tends mm -hmm. to be the old version of church, you know, where one person would stand at the altar Absolutely. and kind of lecture mm -hmm. rules, uh, as you had mm -hmm. said earlier. And then, of course, the terminology, um, uh, and not that we want to make this video a primer on how to reform the Catholic Church or any religion, <laughs> No, we're, we don't. Hearing, <laughs> we're hearing terms like, well, we don't have enough time for that. <laughs> we're hearing terms like pew, fire and brimstone, confession, uh, gospel, you know. Um, uh, so um, back to the contemporary scenario that we all mm -hmm. find ourselves in. Um, another thing that seems to be happening is that leadership in general, um, geez, I don't know the best way to say this. If, if you go back in time, you know, uh, we're in the 2000s now, of course, the teens, actually, mm -hmm. the 2000s, the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, 60s, 50s. People have said, Kerry, that, mm -hmm. that America started to become cynical 
mm-hmm. America, we're gonna, people from all over the world will be watching this video, people of all religions. But in the 1960s is the time that Americans in particular started to become cynical about world leadership. This was around the time of the assassinations of uh, John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Robert F. Kennedy, uh, uh, Martin Luther King. Uh, shortly after that, the Nixon era with Watergate, oh my gosh, now the president of the United States may or may not be lying to us. And now we find ourselves in an administration where etiquette and formality and um, civil uh, civic uh, discourse seems to be going by the wayside in favor mm-hmm. of this rather blunt form of communication, which is kind of the opposite of spirituality. Spirituality is about taking care of each other and being kind, mm-hmm. not because you have to, but because you want to and because it's the, 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 the standard. Mm-hmm. Is the standard changing in America about being nice to each other? Um. Well, I think in practice it has changed. Do I think the standard has changed? No. Um, There's a couple tensions I hear in what we're talking about, right? I I hear the tension of, for instance, authenticity. You know, I want someone who's authentic. I want someone that when they speak, I think they they mean what they say and they say what they mean. Um, And in politics, and many could say politics is a religion. <laughs> I'm not one of them, but I think you could make that argument. Um, that uh, I want a politician who I feel like I can trust. Um, unfortunately, sometimes we equate honesty with callous, or we create honesty with a certain kind of um, directness, which isn't kind. And I think that um, there's a tendency in our, in our culture to assume if someone says it, they mean it. You know, we look at kind of the reality TV culture we live in. Mm. But you and I both know that what we say, uh, what people say on one stage isn't exactly how they feel on the inside. So I think there's a certain authenticity we're seeking. And, um, and I think politics really struggles with that. I think the idea of saying, yeah, I really want to help and change people's lives for the better. But how I do that is maybe different than than what I've said or how I do that is different than what people think. Yeah. Um, I also do think though, this question of leadership is something that both politics and religion struggles with, right? Because um, I need to be able to think that my leadership are people, men and women who um, I can look up to, who are authentic, but who really truly do endorse the difficulties we face. So one of the things that the Catholic church has really struggled with, right? Is this leadership issue uh, related to the sexual abuse crisis that has hit the the country since 2002, right? Um, But many religious traditions face this. If there's an ethics scandal, there's a business scandal, there's a money scandal, there's any kind of scandal. It's the men and women who um, readily admit to it, who endorse it, who uh, try to change it, that I think fare better. Um, And you do see that in the Catholic Church as well. Um, bishops who are willing to kind of speak truth, uh, even when it's maybe personally not as gainful, um, comes out with more respect. Um, so I think that there is a leadership issue here that um, faith struggles to discuss because we don't like seeing failure <laughs> in our leaders. We don't no. like seeing struggle in our leaders. Or mm-hmm. weakness. And to, or weakness. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe because politicians are attention merchants, just like anybody else trying to mm-hmm. market something, mm-hmm. uh, that they feel that being more direct and being a stronger equates mm-hmm. to being a better leader, and maybe that's not correct. 
you are right on that we're talking here about a lot of things. We're talking about nuance and we're talking about connotation and denotation. Um, I think something we can all agree on is that we want to avoid uh, the preponderance of uh, three things, immorality, uh, mm -hmm. being unethical, and also being immoral. But yeah. there have been so many things that have happened recently that, and of course, when you mentioned the Catholic Church and some of the uh, scandals, a lot of them would qualify at least in two of those three categories if they were proven. But mm -hmm. a lot of it has been this, like, uh, this sense that, that maybe people are dodging the, or, or somehow dancing past the accusations that we're, yeah. they're not having, getting a full amount of transparency, which only causes more doubt about how we want to spend our Sunday mornings. And I think even feeds this idea that, well, instead of going to church, I'm going to start going to yoga. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right? Because yoga is about spirituality. Yoga yeah. takes about an hour. You got to put some money in a basket to get into the room, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and you're going to pay tribute to something uh, bigger than yourself. It, it, it's kind of like church. Um, well, I think people who engage in that are, are doing a couple things, which I think are important. And that the Sunday um, the kind of Sunday schedule really is about, it's about ritual. You know, it's about that I do something regularly and routinely, I can count on it. And it takes me to a place where I feel comfortable, uh, you know, uh, with myself. And I think, you know, <laughs> this is kind of all the straddling lots of different divides, you know, but many Catholics back when mass used to be in Latin, and many people didn't know Latin, would say there was something so relaxing and meditative about knowing the words, but not really focusing on the words because I can't figure them out anyway. But it took me to a very reflective pace. It was quiet. It was dependable. It was a ritual that I could engage. And that is, I think, something that um, I would encourage people of all faiths to find the rituals that nourish them, find the rituals that really give them a sense of meaning and maybe an access point or a kind of tool that they can use to engage whatever is that faith that that powerful being, that God, that kind of connection with them. And I think that can be found in lots of ways, right, is that ritual. Um, but this idea that because I look under the surface, you know, I look under the cloth or I look, you know, more deeply at something, I find that maybe it's just, what is it, the wizard behind the curtain, you know, is, is just the man. Um, the idea that if I explore too deep, I'll, I'll lose my faith. That's a joke, actually, by the way, in seminary. They'll, we will ask each other, you know, now that you've studied theology, have you lost your faith? <laughs> um, and the joke behind it, of course, is that if you know a lot, you begin to see humanity all throughout uh, the faith journey and all throughout the religious story. And the idea, I think, is that once you do see the wizard behind the cloth, do you still have the power to get what you want out of this life in a meaningful way? And, Wizard of Oz is any story, you know, Dorothy does. I think we all do, right? And I yeah. think it's about not being afraid of, of taking that journey. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about this idea of knowing and the, the benefits of knowing or the benefits mm -hmm. of not knowing. I, you know, as a professional speaker, I've got a little bag of tricks that I pull out for humor. And one of the lines sure. I've been using for a long time is, the more I get to know people, the less I like them. Yes. And people laugh at that because there's a kind of a truth to it that mm -hmm. when you meet people initially, you're, you're getting the, you know, what they want you to see. And then mm -hmm. after you get to know them better, you learn about all the problems and maybe some mm -hmm. stuff they didn't want you to know. And, mm -hmm. and it's probably true in my direction as well. Faith itself is based on the premise that you don't mm -hmm. know everything. 
And people are struggling with that now, especially when you think about this uh, age-old debate about, uh, you know, the origin of the species and all this kind of stuff. And you've studied this. You know more about, much more about it than the, than the average person. You seem like a very smart lady. How do you reconcile what, what science teaches us about evolution versus the faith model? Do you, do you, you find a way to coexist with both of them? Absolutely. And I think most religious traditions have done that. Um, you know, so I, interestingly, I'll be teaching the psychology and religion course uh, this coming term at the University of Detroit Mercy. And it's a great course because many people seem to think of these as two opposing forces. And I right. really think of them as very integrated, um, very, very integrated. Um, one of my own spiritual kind of guidance, uh, which comes from St. Ignatius of Loyola, who wrote these famous spiritual exercises. And his basic premise was, uh, we need to learn to use all the tools within the human experience, imagination and memory, and um, kind of looking at our desires. And we need to strengthen them like we would physical muscles. And that by doing so, we really build a better connection with a faith life. Um, and, and he obviously was in the Roman Catholic tradition. Um, but this idea of reconciling science and faith, I think many scientists have spoken on this. Um, a famous medical um, doctor, Francis Collins, wrote a lot about this faith journey of doctors, right? That they can do a lot. They certainly have gifts, strengths, knowledge. But when it comes to it, there's so much in medicine that's unexplained, right? And they call it practicing medicine for a reason, just like we practice yoga and we practice our faith. We practice so, theology. Absolutely. So all of these things are about kind of we, we have some things in our grasp, some knowledge points. I think most religious traditions have already reconciled the creation debate, um, especially in the major Catholic uh, and Christian denominations have said, uh, the story of creationism as told in Genesis is one of those things which was um, a story that could be easily passed on. So we're kind of educating our youth and our future among people who didn't quite have the formal learning we have now or the tools to really explore the world. Um, and so now we're at a point where we say, yeah, there was a, a kind of scientific understanding of how the world came to be. But in the sense of the story of creationism, what we were trying to talk about was this idea of we're all connected. We were all kind of um, Kind of put here for a reason or a purpose which building community building strength um so lots of people have kind of already engaged this faith debate faith science debate it doesn't have to be one or the other they mutually inform one another yeah a famous um catholic um famous catholic cardinal um avery dulles would say faith and reason you don't have to choose you know you yeah. need both yeah. i think god is, is not afraid of our of our intellect at all. That's a great line. God is not afraid of our intellect. Mm -hmm. I think it was, uh, it's interesting, you talk about uh, holding opposing views in your head. I think it was mm -hmm. F. Scott Fitzgerald that said man had an amazing capacity to hold two uh, mm -hmm. opposing thoughts. Uh, mm -hmm. Psychologists, of course, call it cognitive dissonance, and some people just can't live with it, you know, that they have to have one or the other. But mm -hmm. it's interesting how you talk about the, the, the fact that religion and science are not necessarily mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. um, let's go back to this idea about, um, you said something earlier about the standard for kindness has not changed, but our practice has. 
doesn't, if we do something long enough, doesn't it, doesn't it by definition shift? I mean, I remember a famous uh, thing uh, that Starbucks had said a long time ago, they weren't going to hire anybody with tattoos. And then they, then society kept getting inked up, man. And the mm-hmm. talent pool for people to work at Starbucks, they had to start making decisions. You know, we're, we're pretty soon there's not going to be anybody left to hire. And so <laughs> then they, said, they started walking it back and said, well, we're going to just hire anybody that doesn't have visible tattoos. Mm-hmm. And then they walked it back even further because society kind of, uh, you know, was the tail wagging the dog. It said, we're going to mm-hmm. tell you how the policy is going to be Starbucks. You're not going to tell us. Mm-hmm. So if this goes on long enough, because I don't think that we're at any kind of an inflection point uh, yet about one way or the other. I think it's just, it's just going to continue to evolve. I mean, who knows what's going to happen in politics? Who's going to know what's going to happen with leadership? Who's going to know what, what's happening with the image of the Catholic church? Where mm-hmm. are we in the continuum, Carrie? Is it going to get worse before it gets better? Is it, is, are we at that inflection point now? That's a very good question. I, I wish I had my crystal ball <laughs> to be able to, to talk about it. Um, you know, one thing that I do notice um, for sure is the, um, the ways in which technology has affected the speed of some of these developments, you know, yeah. that the tone of kindness, the tone of acceptance, the tone of that uh, dissonance between different people's ideas um, ramped up so quickly between 2008 and 2016. Um, you know, people thought that a Barack Obama was crazy to be on Facebook for as a political candidate. I mean, think about that platform even, you know, eight years later uh, with regards to how people were using it. Um, I think quickly people saw if we keep fighting and arguing, we're gonna lose family and friends and that did happen. Mm. Um, and what am I willing to lose if I'm willing to be unkind? Um, I think what you've seen now among politics, um, and if if the last several days is any kind of notice of, you know, all the publicity around George H.W. Bush's um, style, um, many people would say, it's interesting. At the time, I didn't politically agree with him. But what I see now is that he was a civil man. He learned how to discuss things in a way which um, I still found respect for. And I think that... um, faith and religion always tries to call on the better side of ourselves, right? The side that um, we see as um, our best selves. We don't always get there and we do a disservice when we only focus on our best self Mm. because most of us are struggling or waiting in the swamp (laughs) many days. But um, the idea that I really do have a side of myself, which is better than the, the, the negative language I can use. And, um, I had a friend who one time told me I'm a mother of two kids and um, I one time really, you know, messed up as a parent and I found myself struggling with like, oh God, I feel awful about that. And she said, you're about to teach him the best lesson you will learn, which is forgiveness. I need to ask for forgiveness. He needs to learn how to give it. And, and, I, and I come back to that every time when I think about how much we struggle when we don't do our best. But I think we are going to continue to improve. I really do think that... Um, People realize we can disagree politically, but man, the way we have changed religiously and psychologically and politically around our language is, is shifting. Yeah, It might get worse. I, I don't know. Um, I don't study enough of the social trends to know that. Um, mm-hmm. You know from just this video chat, I'm kind of a technophobe, but um, 
But I do think that people are saying, wait a second, I don't want to lose uh, meaningful relationships or connections because I, I can't keep a civil tongue in my mouth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for those of you watching the video, uh, watching a, a replay of this video, the mm -hmm. reference to George Herbert Walker Bush is in the week after he has passed away. Mm -hmm. uh, Peggy Noonan, the famous speechwriter, had George Herbert Walker Bush using the phrase kinder, gentler nation. And that certainly showed up in eulogy after eulogy as we watched mm -hmm. uh, the ceremony of, uh, funeral ceremony of his passing. Um, it's interesting, too, that you mentioned Barack Obama's uh, Facebook tone. And then we, if you compared it now to President Trump's Twitter tone, the difference mm -hmm. is almost night and day. Both men in the same office, both serving as president of the United States, and yet the, the messaging platform uh, has shifted. And if we can go back to, a, to an angry church term, uh, we're now being preached to from the bully pulpit versus encouraged to be nice to each other or have a kind word or do the right thing. Um, I want to close, uh, Carrie, and thank you so much for this. I can't wait to be with you on January 30th at our Mind, Body, Spirit event. And again, everybody, the link to register in, uh, for this Southeastern Michigan event will be down below in the comments. But um, this idea of um, self-forgiveness and our ability to somehow somehow apply moral authority. Moral authority, to me, is just everyone's ability to do the right thing all the time. I mean, if we just honored that 99% of the time, a lot of our problems would go away. What is your best advice for people who feel the need to forgive themselves? And we're seeing this play out, by the way, a lot, speaking of the mind, body, spirit title, uh, with people who feel less than, mm -hmm. partly because of comparing themselves to other people online, mm -hmm. uh, or maybe comparing themselves to people from past generations like George Herbert Walker Bush. Mm -hmm. What is the secret, Carrie, in your mind to self-forgiveness? Is, is there a strategy to this other than taking part in a ritual, a religious ritual? Mm -hmm. Well, I think there are several things that can help the process. The, the first is, is seeing good models of self-forgiveness, you know, seeing loved ones or friends or colleagues, people with whom we respect, who, you know, mess up on that project at work, or they don't look their best, they show up with a stain on their party dress, or they, um, you know, they, they, they had a sharp tone in the grocery store with their kids. I mean, I, to see people um, who model the self-forgiveness we seek, I think is incredibly helpful. Yeah. And a lot of the patients that I see come in with very rigid ideas of what they can forgive themselves about and what they can't yeah. uh, until they find that story of a friend who struggled with the same thing or a parent or a cousin who uh, kept something hidden and they just recently revealed it. So I think that um, finding models for being, um, you know, kinder and more accepting of ourselves. I think the other idea is this notion of judgment. Um, we're quick in our society to make judgments. We've always been quick to do that. Uh, evolution has asked human beings to make quick judgments out of risk, you know, be safe or run away. Um, and I think what we're finding is that, you know, first appearances are not always accurate ones, um, either for good or for bad. And so continuing to explore things, um, people, relationships, when we find that they open our minds as opposed to shut them down. 
Uh, I'm quick to um, pull away from, it must be one way, it must be my way, it must be only this way. And those are the things that I think that rigidity is, is just no longer helpful to us. So ritual and practice and discipline, very different from uh, one way, my way, the highway kinds of ideas. Mm -hmm. I love it. So uh, in the answer to the complicated question of what is the art of self-forgiveness, how can we get better at it? Dr. Kerry Nantes says, first, find good role models. Second, try to delay your rush to judgment. It's, a, mm -hmm. it's not a race to the finish line, everybody. Let's stay open to possibilities and keep mm -hmm. asking intelligent questions. And finally, having the patience to practice ritual types of self-improvement, whether it be going to church, uh, being kind to others, whatever. Dr. Mm -hmm. Carrie Mantis, you're a delight. I can't wait to meet you in person. Tell Thank everybody you. where they can find you online, please. So um, I'm on a website, uh, re uh, resourcesfordevelopment.net. You can find my profile there. I'm also on Psychology Today. Uh, if you are interested in, in individual psychotherapy or couple psychotherapy. Um, so those are the two main sources for me. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, you're a pleasure. And thank you so much for all of the good work you're doing in, in our community here in Southeastern Michigan and, and now in the rest of the world, courtesy of this video. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate our conversation today. It was, was fun. Mm -hmm. My pleasure. See you soon. Thank you. Take care.